0: All right, we're in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4, and we're looking at um, the rest of God, and I've cut, I realized I left my Bible over there, Hebrews chapter 4, and last week we were looking at uh, the The issue of unbelief and not being able to enter into the land or enter into the relationship and rest we have in Christ through unbelief. And there is that comparison through this book. Now, as we've been studying the book of Hebrews, we discover early on that, remember, God speaks to the Hebrew people, and that's really the context of this. Although it's not addressed only to the Hebrew people, it's really anybody that will hear Him. And we'll listen to the message of the gospel, because that's really what was the highlight of it. And the theme of the book of Hebrews, remember uh, that Jesus is what? He is better. There we go. All right. That didn't sound very strong. Jesus is better. Right. So you have uh, throughout this where you see the writer shows us that he's better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than the angels. He has a better priesthood than the Levitical priests that um, they came and went. His is an eternal priesthood. He's better than Moses. He's better in every single way in anything that we have in creation because he's God the son and we are to listen to him as he speaks. And that's really the, the position of the book of Hebrews as it deals with this idea of the Lord being, the, Jesus being better than in that. And remember, um, last week we also talked about this image of how uh, Israel, unbelieving Israel as a generation, not as a nation. Because God would bring a nation into the land of Canaan. But a generation of un, you know, people who, who did not believe, uh, unbelievers, they did not enter into the land of Canaan. And that was the illustration, and it was through unbelief. And we'll look back at that in a little moment here. But we come to chapter 4, and it's very closely, obviously, connected to chapter 3. Originally, when this was written and read, it was all in one letter, right? It was, there were no chapter divisions or verses. That's all stuff that came much later, as we've added that to the Bible so that we can find things. But this would have been one continuous letter. And so you kind of picture that coupled with chapter 3. So this morning we're going to look at chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. And let's begin right there in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we have believed... We who have believed do enter that rest, as he said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Therefore, or there remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Lord, we're grateful again for your word. Lord, thank you for giving it to us in our language. And we're mindful of that today. And we, we know that there are many, many people in this world that don't even have a copy of the Bible They don't have easy access to it. They might not even have it in their language. And Lord, I pray that those that are diligently working today to translate it would just again, Lord, be used by you so that many more would hear the word of God. And Lord, I pray your word would go forth from this place today as well and that you would just touch our hearts and our lives as only you can and do your work and may you be lifted up and glorified here. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1 opens up with that word, therefore, and, uh, it, it, and whenever you see those words like therefore or wherefore or whatever, it's connecting that previous teaching or previous words that were spoken and we, we looked at some of that already and again, the previous chapter, if you the most close context to that, is that there's a warning, a warning of being disobedient or being uh, in a group of, of unbelievers or someone of who is unbelie- in unbelief and in doing so... You cannot enter into rest. And the picture, the aspect of physical rest in the land of Canaan was a picture of a spiritual rest that is also offered to the people of God a far better rest because it's a rest found in Christ and it's a rest that is finished. The rest in Canaan was never finished. They went into the land and though they the, the land had rest for periods of time, And we were just in the book of Judges not long ago. And you remember, there were those words like uh, phrases where it said, and the the land had rest 20 years, or the land had rest for 40 years. And and there was a season of rest, but then the enemy would come back in and they would have to fight again and they would do that. And so here in the New Testament, the rest that is talking about, uh, that the writer talks about, is a rest that is better. It is a better rest because it's an eternal rest. It has ramifications now but forever also so that's the rest that we're going to be talking about in some uh, fashion today now we see in this uh, again how God uh, was the one who did the speaking back there in chapter 1 verse 1 it was God who at various times in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets that's how God conveyed his revelation But in these last days, it says here, it has in these last days spoken to us by his son. The final revelation of God, the final word on the subject is found in a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And again, he's better. And if you get anything from this series of messages, I hope that you walk away at least thinking of Jesus as better. And that he is better. And with authority we can say that today. And then in chapter 2, remember there is a warning, uh, and there the writer says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And that is sort of also the warning that is over um, this whole epistle, because there were some who were in danger of going back to things that could not save. There were those that were trusting in a rest that could never give them fullness of rest. And... They are warned. How will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation or a better salvation which is found in Jesus Christ? And that is the argument that is found here in this scripture of Hebrews. It's an argument in the sense of a a legal weighty matter that you would present before a court and you would say this is why Jesus is better. And, And the author writes this and goes through that And at the end, you really have no other way but to say, He is better. He is better. And we come to that. Uh, And remember, the previous chapter, we had those that uh, he warned about unbelief. And remember, it says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Now, we looked at that, and I'll remind you, the word if there is not a, a conditional if it is an evidentiary if he's warning people that are reading this and hearing this and he's saying if you are in the household of god then you will hold fast the confidence of that that's a product of that or an evidence of that and again in verse 14 he uses that same uh, word for we have become partakers of christ if not because of but as as evidence of we hold The beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. And the issue there is that we will persevere to the end to be conformed into the image of Christ. Being like him in the glorified state. And that's a process he begins now and will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. Right? The book of Philippians tells us that. And we see that. And there were some that were in danger of turning back to things that could not save. And in doing so they would have been disobedient to the gospel message and to the lord of the gospel in that and so we see that well as we read through that text in hebrews 4 the word rest appears over and over and over and over again you can't get away from that and i think anybody in just reading it once would say that's the theme of those first 11 verses that we looked at and again they connect this idea of a rest that's found in jesus and again therefore since a promise remains of entering his rest so this, uh if you wanted a little outline the promise of his rest there is a promise found here and that promise is essentially this that um if we believe if we trust the lord in that he's promised to give us the people of god a special rest and it is only found through the gospel and faith in him and by the way if faith is missing then we have nothing because that's what it says when you look at the next verse says for indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them but to the word to the yeah but the word which they heard did not profit them you see if you do not believe the gospel it has no effect in your life for salvation that's just an obvious thing right but there is no profit in that. There's no, there's no, I'm not talking about monetary profit in that. I'm talking about the eternal rest that he offers. You will not enter into that rest. You will not gain anything. And the only thing you gain is actually judgment in the, the harvest of God at, at his wine press. In the book of Revelation it talks about that. Anyways, and it says why it doesn't profit. But the word which they heard did not profit them. Why? Not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So again, the danger is this, that today you will hear his voice. And if you harden your hearts, it is possible to go right away from things. And and you say, I I don't want that. Now, I have to be careful again, because uh, I don't fully understand or know your mind. And neither do you probably either. But... Um, there are times that people can sit under the hearing or at least the, the sound of the gospel message as it goes forth and they don't understand for whatever reason. Sometimes it's just not making that connection. And so there is a danger when you hear and understand and reject that you can harden your hearts and then guess what, you will not enter into rest. But there are some that will sit there, and they may for even several times hear the gospel. I was one such like that, where I had the gospel shared to, with me several times, and I didn't understand it. I, I thought, well, that's good for them. I don't see how it could ever be good for me. And I had that kind of thought in my mind, and I, and I, I had a good Christian friend who he, he, sat, he went and he witnessed to me often, and again, it just didn't make sense. And then I began to read the Bible, and as I began to read the Bible on my own, the Holy Spirit working in me, you know, as a sinner, he—I was working. He was working on me, that that sinner's heart, and I began to see through the Scripture my need for this for the Savior. And it took a while, and in the process of that, I heard the gospel from another person, and I'm sure I heard the gospel elsewhere during the years, but I didn't understand it, and therefore I really didn't, I guess, internalize it. And then one day it made sense. I was sitting in. A uh, little church, Mountain View Bible Church. At the time, it was the little house that was just in south of Winterville. And um, uh, it was a little old schoolhouse, still in the field, as a matter of fact, in uh, the township just south of Winterfield. And I was sitting in there, and I sat through Sunday school, and I thought, wow, that really makes sense. And then the next week I came, and I sat through Sunday school in service, and I said, wow, that really makes sense. And then the third week I went to prayer meeting, which was before Sunday school. That's how they start off with a prayer meeting, about a 30-minute prayer meeting. And it was a public prayer meeting, and everybody was gathered, and there were just people praying as the Lord led. And it dawned on me that I'm a sinner, and I need salvation. And the first time I ever prayed publicly was a prayer of salvation. And nobody ever told me what to pray. I didn't, I didn't stop and say, well, uh, hey, I need to know what to say here. I just knew that I was a sinner, and I prayed, and I said, God, thank you for revealing yourself to me. Come into my life and live it for me. And for me, that was the sinner's prayer. And he did. And at that moment, I was saved. And I can, with assurance, look back at that time, May 8th, 1988, and I can say, I heard the gospel, and it made sense, and I responded. I responded. And I just say this to you. Today, if you hear the gospel... And you understand for the first time, then receive it. If today, as a believer, you hear the gospel and you say, I've strayed from the Lord in my walk or whatever, get back right with Him because He wants us to walk in obedience to Him no matter what. And I say that because there's a place of rest in Christ. He goes on to talk about that, and there's a there's a promise of the rest, and then there's a the preaching of the rest. The preaching is this: that for those that hear, they enter in. For those that refuse after they hear and they disobey and they don't believe, it's not mixed with faith. Then judgment follows, and that's um, the preaching of rest. And then there's the prophet, as I said. Uh, there's no prophet in it if you don't believe. And then you find in verse three here, he says, "For we." who have believed, do enter that rest. And by the way, that's present tense. There's a present rest. It's not just a future. Now there is a past rest, and then there's a present rest, and a future rest. There's a future rest. We get down to verse 9. We find out that still awaits for the people of God. And it's found in Christ. And I could look at those. I'm not going to take the time to go through all those. But there is that sense of uh, uh, rest There was the creation rest and that's what it says here so i swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundations of the world and there was in verse four for he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way and god rested on the seventh day from all his works that's found in the first book of the bible after god gets done six days of creation on the seventh day he rested And the word Shabbat comes in. The word that means to cease. And it wasn't because God was tired. But it was because God had made everything good. And because God made everything good and perfect, His work ended in creation. He still upheld everything, and He was still at work in that aspect of it. But His work of creation ceased. And therefore, God instituted a rest and it was the rest of God and that is pictured now by the way Jesus um, now see man went took that rest that God had and and it is one of the commandments to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy and the idea of a, a rest every week on the seventh day which in our calendar would be Saturday right and Uh, on that seventh day like observant jews to this day still practice a a sabbath right a rest and there's nothing wrong with the sabbath by the way it's a good thing a good principle take a day and rest okay Um, if you can't get a day there's that aspect of finding time during that week that you can rest and stop and just be still because we weren't meant to go 24 7 all the time seven days a week Um, but we're meant to also have a time of rest and and I, I think that really that's important in that. Now, there's a distinction, however, in the scriptures in the New Testament between the Lord's Day and the Sabbath. And I say that because the Lord's Day, as it appears in scripture, like in the book of Acts, it, and and also uh, on the uh, in the Gospels, it was the first day of the week, which would be our Sunday, uh, the resurrection day. And that is the first day. And that was also... Um, a very important day although there's no law of keeping the resurrection day we see the early church observant of the resurrection day and meeting on the resurrection day and we see in church history that is expounded not just from the word of god but early on like around 150 ad there's writings there that show that christians met on the first day of the week and they were doing so to commemorate the resurrection which is even a better event because remember It cost God only his spoken word to create, but to save, it cost him everything, his very life. And that's the other part of this. You see, as soon as Genesis 3 comes around, in Genesis chapter 3, you have an important event that takes place there. What is it? What happens to the human race? Sin. Yeah, three letters, right? Sin. Sin enters into the human race. And from there, sin is passed on to every generation in Adam. And this is the thing. God's rest no longer was, well, he wasn't resting anymore. You know why God wasn't resting? Is because it wasn't good anymore. Sin came into the picture. And now God, who already had the plan, begins a work that eventually that seed of a woman will be Jesus on a cross hanging there dying for you and me and when Jesus would be on that cross his final words from the cross was this it is finished and see he produced in salvation by himself a better rest and he ceased from his work when he said it is finished and I'm thankful he doesn't have to do that over and over and over again for you or for me we don't have to say, Lord, please go and be crucified again because I sinned again. Oh no, if that was the case, we would, we would have to crucify him over and over and over again throughout the day, throughout our lifetime. Think of the, the, the trillions and trillions of times that he would have had to be crucified if his work was not good enough. But his work is good enough. And he had rest. And on the third day he rose again victorious over that. And man doesn't always get it, do they? I think of that because like in John chapter five is a good illustration. We have here the pool of Bethesda, and we have the miracles, and there was a man there who was waiting to be healed of his paralytic condition. And he had no one to bring him down into the waters. And and there every time he somebody else would get ahead of him and all of this and finally he encounters Jesus Christ. And Jesus heals him, not with the waters, but just with his power. And he heals him, and he says, rise and take up your bed, you know, and go. And you know what? The man does that. And immediately, there were people, the religious leaders, that were upset that Jesus did this because he did it on the Sabbath day. And you weren't supposed to work. And you certainly weren't supposed to get up and take your bed and walk. But that's what happened. And look what it says here in John 5. For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now and I have been working. Now that's a very important statement that Jesus makes. Because he is saying, my father has been working all along. Now, I don't know about some of them that it clicked with them. Maybe not, because we see the reaction in the next verse. But that means that God wasn't resting anymore. And Jesus says, I have been working all along too. Look what it's, and that's from Genesis 3.15 and on, right? And by the way, the reason for that, it says on that, verse 18 therefore the jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the sabbath but also said that god was his father making himself what equal with god he was claiming deity he said i've been working all along with the father you know why because he's the eternal son and you can't have an eternal father without an eternal son they both are god as the holy spirit is god also and you have the triune god who's always been at work And though there was a creation that took six days, the work of salvation has been planned before the foundations of the world, and it is still going on. And there awaits a time for the people of God to enter into a future rest. I like that. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. He's quoting two passages of Scripture. For those that were unbelievers, they would not enter into a rest. And since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it. And there was. There was a generation that entered into the Canaan rest. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Right? He warns about that. And isn't that true? Right? Rest. You see year after year after year the Jews would come and they would continue in, in obedience to what God told them to do. But they had to go and they had to be observant of all the feasts. They had to uh, bring sacrifices to the temple. And they had to do that over and over and over again. And the priest, by the way, never had the time about the Levitical priest, the high priest even, who would go in once a year on behalf of the people. Uh, and he would offer first a sacrifice for himself and then he would have to offer a sacrifice for the people because he was a sinner he had to offer a sacrifice and because they were sinners he had to offer a sacrifice but he never stopped there was no seat in the holy of holies his work was never done he was always standing Jesus's work when he was finished it was done In the book of Hebrews in chapter 10, it says this, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Can I tell you that again? Which can never take away sins. All that action of, and it was a step of obedience and an act of faith by trust, but it wasn't the sacrifices of bulls and goats and lambs and and turtle doves and all the other sacrifices and the fruit offerings and the meat offerings and those kind of things, it wasn't those things that saved. They couldn't. And if you don't believe me, that's what the Bible says. They could not save. But they pointed to one who could. And they pointed one who was a greater and better sacrifice. And he had a greater and a better priesthood. It says, but this man, this is referring to Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin's how long? Forever. He offered it once forever. Look what happened. Sat down at the right hand of God. When you sit down, it's a place of rest, isn't it? When Jesus offered himself a sacrifice, he was then able to take a seat, the seat of honor at the right hand. And as he was there, he, he rested or ceased from his labors of redemption. And he offers that kind of rest to you. And he offers that rest to me in that same process. Oh, I'm thankful for that. Interestingly enough, in that very context of John 19, when Jesus said, It is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He's on the cross, and he says that, and he dies. Look what it says in the very next thing. Therefore, because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath. See, it was against the law to touch a dead body on the Sabbath and you would become ceremonially unclean and you would no longer be able to participate in the Sabbath. You wouldn't have rest. And that was the legal you know requirements of the Levitical system. But it says, for that Sabbath was a high day. And it was. It was Passover Sabbath, Right? And the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. And in reference to the, those who were being crucified, one on either side of Christ, as they agonized on the cross and as they, they struggled to breathe by raising themselves up on the nails that were pierced through their, their feet and their ankles, as they would have raised themselves up on that. And imagine the excruciating pain that would have come out of that. And, and, and that would go on for hours sometimes. And so they said, hey, it's Sabbath coming up, and this is preparation day, and we have to, Sabbath begins at sundown, and we got to get this over with. And so they went to Pilate, and they said, break their legs. See, when you went and you break, break somebody's leg, they can no longer lift themselves. And when you're crucified, it's just the anatomical position of a crucifixion, this way anyways, is that you suffocate. You can no longer bring yourself up to breathe so it was sort of a merciful death if there was any such thing out of a cross but they came to Jesus and he was already dead he's dead because the previous verses say that right and so they didn't break his leg and by the way that's a prophecy fulfilled because a thousand years before that David prophesied and said none of his bones will be broken the word of God is true That was just one of about 38 prophecies that would be fulfilled on the day that Jesus hung on the cross. 38 prophecies. Written hundreds of years, actually more than hundreds, thousands of years before. Some of them were, anyways. Fulfilled in Jesus. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, today. After such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, and the Old English says Jesus there, and that's because the word Joshua and Jesus are the same word. One is the Greek equivalent, essentially, of of the word Joshua. And it's more properly translated Joshua, at least in English, because we identify that as the Old Testament patriarch who led them into Canaan. And that is the person that is referring here to um, but Joshua's New Testament name would have been Jesus. So if you have a King James Bible, you may see that it says Jesus there, and then usually there's a little notation that designates it as Joshua. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. You see, Canaan wasn't the end, and it wasn't the final place that he wanted his people to find rest. It's a good thing because I can't find—I don't have a place in Canaan. <laughs> If that was where I was seeking, find rest. I'm glad. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 25 says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth but also heaven. You see, there was a time when he shook the earth. And that's recorded in the Old Testament on several occasions, but the time he's referencing there is in um, uh, the rebellion that is referred to in the time in the wilderness. And, you know, there's a future time where he's not only going to shake the heavens, or the earth, but the heavens also. And after that, there's an eternal rest for all the people of God in that. And now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken shaken as of the things that are made, but the things which cannot be shaken may remain. See, someday God's going to shake it all up, and those things that can be shaken, they're gone. But the things that can't be shaken, the the immutable things, the things that are firmly planted on the rock of salvation, those won't be removed. That's the people of God who have anchored their soul to him because he anchored us first (laughs) and that's why he is an anchor for our soul and I'm glad for that verse 9 he says there remains therefore a rest for the people of God that's a future rest and it's a different kind of rest the word rest appears over and over and over again in this passage of scripture in the rest that is seen Um, Like, for instance, verse 1. I think, what is it? All the verses that are there. You have verse 1, 3, 4, 5, 8, 11. Uh, There's more. But anyways, you have uh, the word rest. And it's this word in the Greek, katapasis. We use the word pause in English that comes out of the Greek word katapasis, to rest or to cease. But when the author writes in verse 9, he uses a different word. He uses the word Sabbatismus, which is Sabbath, a Sabbath rest, which is a little different. It's a complete ceasing. And see, at best here on this earth, we get the catapausis; we can pause for a little bit. Our work's never done, really, and the work of salvation is complete. That's the the sabbatismus, or it is the one that is a cessation, a finishing. It's when Jesus said, "It is finished." And I'm glad it's unique that that word is used there, and it's in reference to a future rest, that we will see the fullness of that in glory in heaven. Rest. In Matthew chapter eleven, verse twenty eight, it says, "Come to me, all ye who are who uh, it says, "All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." By the way, Jesus is not talking about just physical rest here. If that was the case then um, everybody would have just gone back and taken a nap and they would have been just perfect for the rest of their life and all that. That's not what he's talking about. Now there's an aspect of that, of working with him now, because the next verse says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. As you work with Christ now, there is an element of resting even though you're weary. But you understand that the promise that goes with that is that there's a future kind of rest. A rest for our souls. And may I say this old soul gets weary. And it is weary. And there are times I'm like, I'm ready, Lord. (laughs) Although, then I think about it, I think maybe I'm not. There's certainly things I want to do on this earth. There's places I want to see. There's people I want to continue to to minister to and be with and all that. But as you go through this life and you start seeing all the hurts and heartaches and other things that come and the health problems and, and you go, Lord, I'm getting weary. Maybe you're there. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're saying, hey, I'm going to charge ahead in life. Good, you do that too. Ultimately, we seek a place of rest. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. The Sabbath. And the principle of the Sabbath. He goes on, and I'm going to try to wrap this up here quickly. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. And then he says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. There's that warning again. He leaves it there. You see... There's this aspect of rest, and and if you think about the book of Hebrews, it talks about the Old Testament things, okay, as, as shadows of things to come. And I often think of it in the context of, uh, for instance, the the feasts that the Jews were required annually to keep. Um, they had these these various times, and the first feast that occurred in the year was the Passover feast, and that was where a lamb was sacrificed and its blood was applied and in the first passover it would save them out of egypt of course the last passover is jesus fulfilled in him and his sacrifice was good enough once for all don't have to do it again and again every year but it was a lamb that was killed his blood was his blood had to be shed and, and salvation was given and then there was the feast of unleavened bread that also was part of that uh, same time. And actually, this feast that we commemorate in the Lord's table is part also of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Passover. They both go together. And it's there that bread that had no leaven, see, leaven is a picture of sin because a little bit of leaven puffs up the whole loaf, loaf, right? And so they were told not to have leavened bread during that time. And it speaks of righteousness, it speaks of a life of holiness. And by the way, after you're saved and Christ has become your Passover, we're to walk in holiness. The unleavened bread is fulfilled in Christ. And then there's the first fruits. That's the next one. That was three days after Passover. And that's the resurrection day. When Jesus rose again, he became our first fruits, the Bible says. And then 50 days from there, you have Pentecost. And Pentecost is a a feast there where Two leavened loaves, so two loaves of bread with leaven, are offered. But before they can be offered, seven lambs have to be killed. Seven is a number of perfection and completion. And you can read all these in Leviticus 23. The whole chapter lays these, these rules out. And two loaves would be made right by the blood of lambs and brought into one sacrifice interesting that was fulfilled in Acts chapter 2 when Jews and Gentiles became part of the church of God two groups of sinners brought into one place by the completed work of Jesus Christ in the church then the next one is the feast of trumpets and may I say this that we're waiting for a trumpet sound to listen for that trumpet and the Lord says come up here That will be fulfilled at the rapture. And then there's the day of atonement. That's the other feast. And that's an affliction of the soul. And that's pictured and fulfilled in a future event called the tribulation. And that is a time where Israel as a nation and the world as a whole will be afflicted greatly. And people will turn to him through affliction. Many will be judged in that time and cast out as well. And then the last feast is a feast of tabernacles the feast of booths as it's called and it was the feast of tabernacles where interesting if you follow that pattern i won't read it there for sake of time but you have in leviticus 23 33 to 40 the the things that go on there and the feast of tabernacles was a final feast of rest and rejoicing they it began with a sabbath and it ended with a sabbath and in between you were to do no work at all And it was a remembrance of the harvests, because there were two major harvests that they celebrated. The first harvest was the harvest of wheat. And see, the harvest of wheat is when you take a wheat seed, right, that has to die first, and you plant it in the ground, and it grows up and produces fruit. And then it's harvested. Pictures the death and burial of Jesus Christ and the gathering in of people who believe. It's always more than the one then there's a second harvest and that was the grape harvest that came later and you read of that harvest and it's the harvest of unbelievers because in the book of revelation it says he will take them and in the wine press of his wrath they will be judged and the feast of tabernacles is fulfilled ultimately in the rest of jesus christ and you see, for the people of God, there still remains a rest to enter in. Have you entered into that rest? You only enter in by faith. And if you just say, I don't want to believe, I don't want to do that, and you're, you understand you're in, danger. you're in danger of being part of that second harvest, where he will harvest the souls of the unrighteous and the, their bodies raised up, and he will cast them off into a lake of fire but he doesn't want that he's offered you everything in that first rest which is found in jesus christ you need only believe in him and turn from your ways and trust him father thank you for the word of god and lord i think about that let us labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man shall fall away and Lord, I'm grateful that the word of God clearly shows us the way, O oh Lord, that we can be saved. It's through a person, a person that is better, because he's the best. Now I ask you to continue to do your work here. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.